First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. On winter solstice, longest night, it is good to go outside even for a few minutes and let the winter just shawl down on your shoulders like a blanket. Remember, says Jess Banks, that every good new thing comes out of darkness, out of the womb, the earth, the depths of our imagination. Darkness harbors things that can't survive the harsh, bare light of day, things that aren't ready for the relentless energy of sun and wind and everybody else's expectations. Don't be so quick, she says, to light the first spark on midwinter or Christmas Eve. Dwell here for a little while. The winter night is beautiful. Somebody sent me a note not long ago. They said, the power within is the same that holds the planets in their places. They were writing in a Christmas card about a medical crisis their family has been through. We're moving forward, they said. We're so grateful to our many friends and we're praying hard. The power within is the same that holds the planets in their places. At solstice time, we go outside in the bracing cold just to taste or glimpse or grasp a strand of that old wisdom, to remember we are part of forces out there that are larger than ourselves, larger than our will and our circumstance, seasons turning, night and day, stars and planets holding us in place. At solstice time, we see in the dark, we discern in the waning days of waiting, the wisdom and the questions that are buried inside us and among us that maybe we can't see or receive in the light of day. Things come to us when we quiet, when we settle, when distractions dim down. I remember one time a few Decembers ago, I went to work on a gloomy gray morning, lifted the window shade, and there were 21 deer standing right outside my office. That church, like this one, is nestled in the woods by a little creek, and they had all come individually before, but never as a, a gang of deer. They were lying down, they were standing up, all covered with new snow on their shoulders and their backs and between their ears and on the velvet of their antlers, a perfect nativity scene. I said, whoa, where did you all come from? And they stayed very still as their spokes deer, a doe, approached the glass with the last of that year's hostas in her mouth, unapologetic. And she said, you know what? We've been here all along. We live here. You just never notice in all the summer foliage. You just never notice because you're mostly looking at your computer, right? We're here all the time. What can we see in the dark? About a year ago, a post office truck stopped at our house at 6.15 in the morning with a box of light bulbs I had ordered from Target. Nothing I needed in that moment, nothing actually that I needed at all, right? But that woman 
She was up and at work already. She'd probably been driving all night, driven by incredible pressure on dark, icy roads to make absolutely sure that every single one of us gets every single thing we want within days, within hours. Postal workers, FedEx drivers, UPS, people packing boxes in unsafe conditions at breakneck speed 24-7 in fulfillment centers all over the world. So I stopped ordering online quite so much after that because none of it is sustainable or right, not for the bodies and spirits of humans, not for other living things. What if through the holidays, instead of speeding up, 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 we slowed down, thought more about pacing and breath and scale and right relation and how slowly and elegantly our planet circles around the sun, quietly spinning like an ornament. There are all kinds of lessons in December's dark. Some of them are ancient, about justice and mercy and the impact of rampant desire. Wallace Stevens has a beautiful poem called The Snowman. One must have a mind of winter to regard the frost and the boughs of the pine trees crusted with snow and have been cold a long time to behold the junipers shagged with ice, the spruces roughed in the distant glitter of the January sun, and not to think of any misery in the sound of the wind, the sound of a few leaves rattling, which is the sound of the land full of the same wind that is blowing in the same bare place inside the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself, beholds nothing that's not there and the nothing that is. There's something about that, about listening for nothing, waiting for nothing. And at the solstice time, it's still early. We're not yet waiting. We're not yet impatient for the grass to grow green and the birds to come back and the ice to thaw and fish to jump. In Minnesota, they're still waiting right now for the ice to get hard enough so they can do what? Drive on it. Weird. We're not even waiting for the light yet. It comes as it comes in the fullness of its own time. It's a force we can't engineer. Our job is to be bedazzled by it. Our job is to squint up our eyes and see in the dark what is shining in ourselves. If on solstice night we go outside, on Christmas Eve, we stay indoors and we sing all those old carols with all the old words, lyrics that make humanists blush and pagans cringe, make all of us more than a little queasy, which is not the worst thing in a rigorous spiritual life to be unsettled, confusion, perplexity, a little inconsistency. Those can be good for the soul, especially the head heavy Unitarian soul. We sing all those words for no reason and for many reasons and to let go of reason just once a year. And part of it's the poetry. We know that part of it's nostalgia. Even in the largely Jewish UU congregation, I served as an intern in New York. Everybody loved the carols, whether Hark the Herald or White Christmas, Mendelssohn, Handel, Michael Jackson, all of them. Even Christians mostly know that none of it is real. The virgin, the donkey, the shepherds, the star, none of that's real, but most of it rings true. 
not the doctrine, but the mystery, not the miracles, but the empirical, undeniable evidence. Tyrants are always exploiting the poor. Rich governments are always chasing frightened holy families, whether on donkeys or in caravans, from Judea to Honduras, from Galilee to Guatemala, hunting down young upstarts who threaten revolution and murdering them. Poor women are always and forever asked to bear unspeakable burdens, to accept the burden as a virtue and suffer like saints and carry to full term whatever patriarchy places on their bodies. And somewhere, almost always, somebody is opening their door in the night and saying, I have room for you. Come inside. The story rings true. People have always been wondering, wandering under the stars. We still are. Whether you're listening for trumpets or angels or the wailing of babies or the whisper of wind breathing into our cynical ears and ice-cold hearts, the hope of peace on earth, goodwill restored, and the legends and the lyrics, they're not true, not historically. They're not even theologically coherent, but they carry in their cadence, in their bird-like bones, traces of truth, both beautiful and terrible. They're these strands of archetypal evidence that all this mythology was made by humans who held the same questions we do. People who dwelt within and knelt before the same mysteries that leave us speechless even now. They understood the same shattering evil. They understood the same wondrous love. The power within is the same that holds the planets in their places. The hopes and fears of all the years are almost as old as the winter darkness and the returning light. In Western culture, the Northern world, all of this coincides. We are so lucky, I think, to hold our holidays on the dark side of the planet inside this sparkly snow globe of the North. The stories we know first came out of the sunshine, out of the desert, the blue-green waters of the Red Sea and the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean. It does snow sometimes in Palestine, in Bethlehem, but they are actually growing olives there, not chestnuts, not fir trees. Here, the weather seems ready-made for Christmas lights, Hanukkah candles. The stories fit our mood. One must have a mind of winter. Not to think of misery in the sound of the wind, but mystery instead. To behold the junipers shagged with ice, spruces rough in the glitter of the sun. The mind of winter waits quietly, patiently. Even in the midst of holiday hustle, the mind of winter waits patiently and quiet, even in the fear-filled, desperate urgency of so many wrongs to be righted, so much work to be done, injustice to unravel and redeem. The mind of winter acknowledges the emergency and listens for an older, deeper music that will sustain the spirit, not for a flash of activism, but for the long, long haul of a life of justice. It trusts a deeper wisdom with roots as wide as the canopies of trees, binding all of us and all things together. What are you waiting for in winter? 
other than spring. What's waiting in the winter dark for you this year? It's impossible to know. We think we have a plan. We write it down in those resolutions, but we can't imagine what the year ahead will bring in our own life, our shared life, the life of the whole world. You could not have known a year ago what these 12 months would bring to you, what unexpected blessings, what unimagined losses. In wintertime, we're mindful we can't know what's ahead any more than our ancestors who were afraid the sun wouldn't come back. And peace on earth has never felt so unrealistic, never seemed so out of reach, but peace within your own container, peace of mind, peaceful spirit, grounded center. How can you stay hospitable, grant room to that holy possibility? What practice, reading, praying, walking, serving other people, giving, resting, risking, what practice will make that peace more likely? What waits for you now? Goodwill to all, it's a little grandiose, but being just a little kinder to one or two people in your daily orbit, that could be within your grasp. Who's waiting for you now? So much is out of our control. That's a given. That's a fact. December is an invitation to listen, to watch for signs and portents of what maybe isn't out of our control, what maybe we could do or become on purpose, ordinary sacred transformation. So I think about Mary, raised Protestant as I was. She didn't matter to to me much in Sunday school. One kid in school told me she was a Catholic, so I was like, well, nothing to do with me. But I think about her now. Blessed virgin, handmaid of the Lord, peasant girl. None of these titles really desirable for a young woman in her time or ours. The church made her the queen of heaven, well aware that she was also in the pagan mind, the reincarnation and the resurrection of every ancient goddess the church itself had banned. But at some point, some forgotten point, if Mary existed at all, she was also just a person, maybe a child herself. Like all women before her and every woman since who's ever born a child, she was a person. And she must have known, right? Along with any happy curiosity, she must have known loneliness and fear. The terror, not just of opening her body, but of bringing something really fragile, something innocent and lovely to a dangerous and fractured world. This is not magic. This is not mythology. This is how it always is. She couldn't know what she was waiting for, what lies ahead. We never do. And her answer to the angel famously is, let it be with me according to thy will. And theologians ever since, feminist theologians, misogynist theologians, they've argued over whether this was proof of her free agency, choosing to say yes, or an abdication of her power. But if she's a person, if she's not a queen or a goddess, not a saint, if she's a person, then the most important part of Mary's story is the part that's not told, not in the text, not in the beautiful Renaissance paintings or the carols or the Magnificat, 
The part that matters most maybe is not the enunciation or the birth, but how she waited, resigned herself for all those months to just waiting and what she wondered, what it felt like not to be the holy blessed virgin full of grace, but to be a person full of mystery, which is a miracle. The text says she pondered in her heart. And that is the line that I wish someone would set to a carol, not just for Christmas, but a song to hold the whole mind of winter, the fallow land, the seeds underneath, the smothering dark that already by Wednesday this week will be giving way to light, the cold that draws us closer to the warmth of each other, the silence that speaks louder than music or plans or opinions or noise. You ponder in your heart. Darcy Seinke writes, so before she wraps him in the swaddling clothes, before she lays him in the manger, let's just allow her to hold that baby against her chest. Let her feel the exquisite touch of delicate fingertips as he shifts that tiny head, mesmerized already by the cadence of her beating heart. Before she gives him over, hands her child over to theology and politics and armies of the just and crusaders and evangelists and empire before she becomes an icon and he becomes a god, just allow them to be human there for one night. That's the power of their story. And it's the same as ours to be born and live and die and bless the world between the birthing and the dying. There are no magic children. No children born holier than thou. Every one of them, every one of us, is just here to bless the world a little with love and light and bring to bear our own most ordinary incarnation. The seeds are buried inside us, and they're waiting to be born. The light returns in ways we cannot control, and also in some ways that we can. This year, among all the candles and the Christmas lights in here, all these beautiful traditions of this space, members of your social justice team have added something else. The menorah in the window there is a new ancient thing. The Hanukkah lamp, a symbol for thousands of years of the people's resilience and their faith that persecution would not kill them, that evil wouldn't triumph, that justice and self-determination can shine brighter than fear. The menorah was Doug Opperly's idea, supported by the social justice team in the face of rising acts of anti-Semitism, hatred, terrifying threats every day in the news now against synagogues and Jewish leaders in the face of cowardly hate. These little lights are beacons of solidarity. The menorah here echoes the action many years ago, two decades now, in Billings, Montana, where a mob attacked the home of a Jewish family, throwing a cinder block through the windows of their house, nearly injuring their child. And the people there, Montana, came together, the school district, the city council, the local papers, and the churches. And they put menorahs in their windows through all the eight nights of Hanukkah shining all that love into the night. At solstice time, at Hanukkah, at Christmas, the great wheel pulls us toward love and light in ways that we cannot control and in some ways that we can.
just a moment in the silence here. Take a breath and consider what this winter you're waiting for and what's waiting for you and what light you are bringing into this world. <laughs> 